Welcome to Our Kids, Our Schools, your compass in the world of local education hosted by Alexis Morgan, an experienced guide and advocate. This space offers insights designed to serve parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, and community stakeholders. Every episode is designed to equip you with the knowledge and tools to be an active participant. This podcast isn't just a dialogue. It's a movement, a movement that encourages collaboration to foster a thriving school community because together we can, we will make a difference. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. This is something that I have been anticipating for a really long time, and I am so happy to be sitting down recording this very first episode. My name is Alexis and I care deeply about our school communities. My background is in education. I started out as a teacher and I am a parent and I have had children go all the way from pre-K to uh, college now. And I have also been a parent volunteer. I have been a substitute teacher, a long-term sub, and I've also served on a school board. I've been a school board member. So I've worn many hats within the school community, except, I mean, obviously there's a lot of hats to wear. I haven't worn all of the hats, but this is one of the reasons that I care so deeply about this. And in my preview episode, if you haven't had a chance, I kind of dive into just some of the components of this podcast and what you can expect to hear in during the episodes. So today's episode, I'm going to take you through the, the why behind the podcast, which really focuses on a, an article from the journal, The Atlantic by Seth Stevens Davidwitz, which is titled The One Parenting Decision That Really Matters. I remember scrolling through my computer at it actually might have been on social media, and I I saw this article, and I thought I want to know what that says. So I've got my notes here with me, and I am really looking forward to sharing this content with all of you. Before I dive into that, I just want to share that in November, it's our it's the general election in November. That also means that a lot of school board members are going to be up for election, and so parents and patrons, and I mean, everyone within a school community is going to have, and all voting members within a school community are going to have an opportunity to vote. And I am going to, my next episode is going to be centered around school board members and how to choose an effective school board member. So that's just kind of informational for you to something to be anticipating for next time. Okay. So we're going to dive into this article, and then I've just got a couple of other things to throw into it. So they're just things that you can be thinking about. I just want to remind you, oh, well, when I say remind, I'm actually just referring to the to my preview episode, but I just want to share with all of you that I am on social media on Instagram at the.alexis.morgan, and that is where I want to facilitate as much of a conversation as possible as you want to participate in around these topics. My goal is to share information, potentially, I think, offer my perspective in the process. I just, I think that that's going to be natural, but not try to, um, my goal is to not to persuade, but just to offer information so that you can be informed, um, an informed decision maker, because that is a really important part 
of just the United States that we live in, just the opportunity to like, we get to make our own decisions on so many different things. So, okay. So let's dive into this article, the one parenting decision that really matters. So, I mean, initially when I looked at this article, I thought, okay, what are like, okay, I can kind of think about maybe some of the things that they're going to share and what is it that they're really going to say is the number one thing. And I'm here to tell you that the number one thing that they chose, um, figured out based on data was not what I was expecting at all. I just really was not expecting it. So basically it starts out with this idea that, uh, well, a basic question. The question is, how much do parents really matter? I mean, it's a good, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's a fair question. How much do parents really matter? Because when we go back and I mean, when I think about my own experiences as a parent or I look at other parents, sometimes I think, okay, well, I think, wow, that person was, that person had amazing parents and wow, look at this amazing life that this, you know, that their kid has or choices or vice versa. Like they can have amazing parents and the kid can just go off and make their own choices too. So this is something that I think really impacts just the parent community in general. And I heard someone say once, and it really, it really started to change the way that I viewed myself in terms of how I was contributing to my kid, which was if I want to take credit for my child's successes, I have to take credit for their failures. And it was from a, a, just like a parenting therapist expert. And I thought, whoa, that's a really good point that as parents, sometimes it's easy to want to take credit for all their good things and then distance ourselves from all of their bad things. And so that's when I really started to change the way I viewed the choices that my kids were making and how I was a part of those choices. So one of the, when you go back to this question that they ask, how much do parents really matter? A major challenge with this is learning about the potential influence is that the correlation does not imply causation. What does this mean? It means that parent, uh, parental influences can correlate with children's behavior, but they're, but they're not causing a child's behavior. This is something that's often talked about in studies. And I wanted to just kind of lay this out because I know that I like throughout the lifetime of this podcast, I'll be using a lot of studies to just discuss topics. I just feel like that's a really great place to get information or studies. So right now laying out the difference between correlation and causation. Correlation is... I looked this up so that I could have a really good definition for you, but a correlation is between two different components. Correlation does not automatically mean that the change in one component is the cause of the change in the other component. So correlation, examples of correlation would be more time spent on the treadmill, like running or walking, the more calories you burn. Those two items, those two concepts are correlated, but one does not actually cause the other. Uh, another correlation would be the longer your hair grows, the more shampoo you will need. That's a correlation. Or the more money you save, the more financially secure you are. Those two things are correlated, but one does not cause the other. Causation, on the other hand, um, means that one event 
is the result of the occurrence of the other event. So it's a casual relationship between two events, two events. So an example of causation would be working more hours at a job that pays a person hourly will cause that person to have a larger paycheck. So the, like the, there is an, there's a direct and identifiable casual relationship between a paycheck and the number of hours worked at a job. So basically what they're saying is when you, when we go back to the study is that it's hard to determine parental influence because there's a correlation. One isn't causing one compared to the other. So this is given in just different examples. So the article goes into this uh, nonprofit. It's called Holt International since the 1950s has helped American families adopt tens of thousands of children from Korea and other countries. And they wanted to compare genetically unrelated children who were assigned to the same parents. So the more they wanted to determine the more the parents influenced the children, the more these adopted brothers and sisters would end up alike. That's kind of what they wanted to see. But what the scientists found, this is taken directly from the article, was that the family a kid was raised in had surprisingly little impact on how that kid ended up. And this, you know, other researchers have done various studies of adoptees and twins with similar results. There's a book that's shared that is, the book is called Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. And it says that parents have only small effects on their children's health, life expectancy, education, and religiosity. Those studies have found that they have moderate effects on drug and alcohol use and sexual behavior, particularly during the teenage years, as well as how kids feel about their parents. So there's just a lot of data that shows that parents have only a small effect on their children's, all of these different components. But then there's also parents who can have an enormous impact. And they share this example of a parent who pledged $2.5 million to Harvard and Harvard accepted this child, this student, despite this student having a low GPA and SAT scores. And so this isn't an, this isn't an actual, this isn't an actual, I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. This is an actual example of a, of a parent having a direct impact on his child's life. And it basically said that it, it was kind of interesting. I just thought it was a nice way of putting it. They said at the risk of being presumptuous, I think it is clear that his estimated 800 million net worth is many times higher than it would have been had he not inherited a real, oh, excuse me. That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Basically what they're saying is, <laughs> I, I read the wrong section. I'm really sorry. Basically what they're saying is, is that this kid, because of his dad's enormous net worth, had his dad basically bought him a future. And in that instance, yes, we could say that a parent's um, choices directly impacted their child, that one caused the other. But basically, this article says that if the overall effects of parenting, parenting are this limited, the effects of individual parenting decisions are likely to be small. So then... The article goes on to say, however, there is evidence that one decision may be very clear, and it's a decision that parenting experts and advice books rarely even consider. 
So I was definitely intrigued by this point, like, what, like, what are we, what is this decision? And then it dives into the author got to this point where they described this instance that happened in the mid nineties between Hillary Clinton, who at the time was the first lady of the United States, her husband, Bill Clinton was president. And then also Bob Dole, who in 1996 ran as the nominee for president from the Republican party. So basically, you know, the question is like, but what is the number one decision parenting decision that really matters? Here we are. I'm just um, making our way through the article here. And in 1996, Hillary Clinton, she says in a book that um, she argued this proverb And she says that children's lives are shaped by many people in their neighborhood, firefighters and police officers, garbage collectors, teachers, and coaches. She says that in a book. And then as politicians will do, uh, Bob Dole came in and created, he wanted to give an opposite opinion, right? They the need for the division. We see this all the time in politics. So Bob Dole comes in and the Republican, he says this at the Republican convention, and he wants to emphasize, he basically says that Mrs. Clinton's emphasis on the role of community is way, is far minimizing the parent's responsibility that, that firstly, that Bob Dole is suggesting that the first lady totally is taking away too much from parents, minimizing the value that they bring to the table. And so he says that she is subtly attacking family values. This is where the controversy came in. And I remember when this was happening. And then the article quotes Bob Dole is saying, with all due respect, I'm here to tell you, it does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a family to raise a child. So who was right, Bob Dole or Hillary Clinton? And so basically they say that like for 22 years, no one could say this article came out in 2022 for 22 years, no one could say. And the difficulty is because it's hard to establish causation. Like things can be correlated, but what is actually a causation of you know, what produces the most successful kids. And so several years ago, an economist named Raj Chetty, who is a professor, he began looking at this question and he convinced the IRS to give his team of researchers de-identified and anonymous data on virtually an entire generation of American taxpayers by linking the tax records of children and their parents. Chetty and his team could see where people had lived as children and how much they ended up earning as adults. So economists are really fantastic at looking at numbers, looking, um, they have created in my very simplistic way of sharing it, they have created phenomenal uh, theories and equations for researchers to use to understand the world around us. Economists are really, really good at this. And so basically they wanted to, in looking at this data set, they offered scholars a way out of the correlation problem because they were they wanted to see what the numbers were telling us in terms of what was causing this. And so basically, the they basically say 
that we can be confident that the neighborhood is what's driving any consistent differences in achievement. So multiply those differences over an entire universe of taxpayers and add in some clever math, and you have a measure of the value of every neighborhood in the United States. So basically what Raj Chetty is saying is that the number one decision that parents make is based on where they live, that it's the neighborhood that is one of the largest driving factors in how a child progresses and turns out as an adult. And so their results showed that there were some large metropolitan areas that give kids an edge and they have a better education, they earn more money, and the best cities can increase a child's future income by about 12%. So they found five metropolitan areas, Seattle, Washington, Minneapolis, uh, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, Redding, Pennsylvania, and Madison, Wisconsin. And then they created a website that you can go check out. It's called the Opportunity Atlas. And basically, as I was reading this article, I thought, okay, it's where you live. Like the number one decisioning parent, the number one decision that parents can make for their kids is where they live. And as I was reading this article, I thought, but most people don't live in these five places. That's not where they live. And how much is this really, how, how much of this parenting decision is actually impacting our children? Well, the article went on to say that we find that one factor about a home, its location accounts for a significant fraction of the total effect of that home. In fact, putting together the different numbers, the, the article says that an estimated 25% and possibly more of the overall effects of a parent are driven by where that parent raises their child. In other words, this one parenting decision has much more impact than many thousands of others. It's a direct quote from the article. So it kind of, I don't know if I would say like blew my mind, but it was fascinating data to me. Like, whoa, the neighborhood. But again, then I go back to my thought of, but we all can't live in these five places. So then I thought, well, how do we foster if these neighborhoods truly are an important component of where our kids live and where they go to school, then I'm going to think about this as a school community because kids spend a majority of their time for K through, you know, K through 12 in grades. So ages five through 18 at their public school. That's where a majority of their day is spent. And if that is where a majority of their day is spent, then what are we doing as a community to contribute to the value that our kids are getting? And how am I, as a community member, working to contribute to the overall value of my neighborhood? Like, what am I bringing to my neighborhood that is going to help these kids, like, succeed? And it goes back to some information that's kind of linked, that's linked with, I would say, just like civic duty. I mean, a big component of this is civic duty. So we've got this component of, of parenting, and then we have the component of civic duty. So one of the components in the article that I think is really important to note is um, it basically says that three of the biggest predictors that a neighborhood will increase a child's success 
So then it dives a little bit further. Based on what the article says, three of the biggest indicators that a neighborhood will increase a child's success are the percentage of households with that in which there are two parents. This is a percentage of households with two parents, the percentage of residents who are college students, and the percentage of residents who return their census forms. So these are neighborhoods, in other words, where there are role models. So they're talking about role models, adults who are smart, accomplished, engaged in their community, and committed to, fam- to, committed to stable family lives. So I looked at this, I looked at this list and as I was thinking about like, well, what is it, you know, in relation to my school community, it's part of this is an adults who are engaged in their community. So do we have a school community in which adults are engaged? And that brought me to this idea of civic duty and this, this, this linking with basically the foundation of the United States and how this component started. So I will say just in reference that I started out as a history and geography teacher. And so this information is, is it's fascinating to me, but I also think that like it generally just is important for citizens of the United States. And the reason I think it's important is because if, no, I know that we have, right, we have a constitution that establishes the entire um, validity of our country. And that constitution gives us rights. But as citizens, like we get natural civil rights because of that constitution. But that constitution is only upheld through the civic duty of those who live within each nation. So it's like this circular, it's like this back and forth relationship in my mind. We get civil rights, but we also need to have, there's a civic duty that's responsible, that we are responsible for in contributing to these civil rights that we receive. So I, it's just important to note I, that component, I think, is really important when we think about school communities. So just as an FYI, I always love to throw in a little bit of history for people. So early in our nation's history, lawmakers passed the 10th Amendment in the Constitution, which is the which offers the basis for making education a function of the states. So early on, there's no mention of education in any of the amendments, but the 10th Amendment gives states powers to delegate all of the other components that the federal government is not going is not going to have control over. Therefore, education is a function of the state rather than the federal government. So this is why it's important for us as community members to be so aware of what's happening with our state and how our state's doing education. And this is why you'll see all sorts of different people around the nation say like, well, this is what's happening over here in my state, or this is why it's really frustrating in my state because this is how the United States is set up to be. I know some people who will move from one state who have moved from one state to another because they want they want a better education experience for their kids. So if we're looking at this, then so I looked up a couple of different states. And for example, in Idaho, the state that I'm in, the it um it says that Section 10, no, excuse me, Article 9 of education. I, I guess it doesn't really matter exactly where I get it, but it says it's the duty of the legislature of Idaho to establish and maintain a general, uniform, and thorough system of public free 
common schools. So right there in our constitution, it says that in Utah, I looked up the Utah constitution because they're just right to my South and it's, um, and their state constitution, article 10, section one says the legislature shall provide for the establishment and maintenance of the state's education systems, including a public education system, which shall be open to all children of the state. To me, this means that, okay, we have our federal government and they delegated the responsibilities of education to states. So then it's every state's responsibility to offer education. And we are... We as citizens within this state, it's important for us to be aware of what the state is offering our kids, but also that it's our civic duty to participate in this process of maintaining this beautiful relationship between us and the Constitution, which is kind of a side note. I acknowledge it's a bit of a side note. But this idea that this pertains to school communities, that in that, if the state is, um, if the federal government is giving states the responsibility and right to govern schools, and we want to have our civil rights, I mean, we get our civil rights, then it's our responsibility as citizens to participate as per our civic duty. I would suggest that it is our civic duty to participate in our school community, to participate in something that is contributing to the greater the greater need for our kids. There's lots of studies that show that an investment in dollars in education for kids pays dividends on the other end when they leave. I can get into that stuff later, but there is a statement from a book by two guys named Franklin and Raj Letters, and it's about, basically, it's an introduction to government governance and uh, public administration. But they say in there that they make two different statements about uh, the Constitution protects our civil rights will not survive for long when its citizens are unaware or unfamiliar with their civic duties. So they're basically arguing that, like, we're not going to be able to keep this Constitution forever if we don't, if we are not aware of what our civic duties are as citizens. And then the other thing they mention in there is that we want all of these things. We want the government to give us all of these all of these rights, all of these benefits of being a part of the government. But so often in receiving these rights, we don't necessarily want to give back or contribute. And they say, they make a statement that really, it really did jump out at me. It says, we are entitled to excellent education for our children, but must be willing to participate with their homework and contribute to the parent-teacher associations in public schools. And I would take that a step further and just say, like the participation of our school communities. If the number one parenting decision is where we live, we want our neighborhoods, like I want my neighborhood to be as the best that it can be. I want, I want to be able to, to be contributing in a way that's going to be helpful so that I'm offering my part in this contribution of my school community. So one of the things that I thought about near the end, just like as I was putting all of these different components together was, you know, I am a citizen. And so I, I ask myself, what kind of citizen do I want to be? Do I want to be the kind of citizen that 
doesn't care, that doesn't contribute? Like, do I want to be a taker? Do I want to be the dis- a citizen that's a taker and and not contributing? Or do I want to be a citizen that is a giver and gives when I can and participates when I can? I, I heard a woman say recently, as we were talking about some of the different things that we were doing, she said, well, I don't do, you know, I don't necessarily give on a bigger level, but she said, I help I help people, you know, like I'll notice them when they need their grocery carts uh, put back in, in the little cart return thing at the store. And I thought that's someone who's just like willing to pay attention. And I have another friend who she, there's just different people who go and they support kids in their different activities. They ask about kids in their school. I have a friend, she's a business owner. And they needed kids, they needed adults to go in for, it was at my, one of my kids' uh, middle schools and they were looking for, oh, what's it called? Um, like a job fair where people come in and they talk about their job. And this teacher was looking for an interior designer. And I asked my friend who's an interior designer. I was like, well, this, they, they're looking for someone. They don't have any. And she said, yeah, I'll go in and do that. And so she doesn't have kids at the school. Her kids are in high school. Our kids didn't even go to this middle school. And she took time out of her day to go share information on what it's like to be an interior designer. And I thought that's so cool. That's her contributing to a school community. And so I just, I hope that this information is helpful to you. They, at the end of all of this, I got two, I have two takeaways. I'm sure you have other takeaways, but my two takeaways from the content from today is that one, our decisions as parents matter. And it's a combination of individual parenting choices and the village in which we live. And I want to contribute to that village because I, I care about my kids and I want people to care about my kids too. And I care about other people's kids. So that's my, that's one of my takeaways. The other takeaway is that yes, we do have civil rights the constitution gives us that and the state is required to provide education to our kids but that is also linked with civil duties like civic duties and i genuinely believe that it's part of my civic duty to participate in my school community so i just want to thank you for joining the podcast today for listening and please go comment on my social media page. Please share your contributions to the conversation today and we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Our Kids, Our Schools. Your contributions are vital in this shared journey towards a thriving school community. So let's keep this conversation going on my Instagram page at the.alexis.morgan. Share your insights, suggestions, and experiences. Follow the podcast so you never miss empowering discussions and insightful resources. And always remember, keep learning, keep questioning, and together, let's make a difference.